Welcome to another episode of the Destination Linux Podcast. Welcome to episode 91 of Destination Linux. This is a podcast of opinions made up by three allegedly semi-intelligent guys discussing our passion for Linux. My name is Ryan, and with me today is Michael. Michael, how have you been this week? I have been fantastic. Thank you. That is great to hear. And Rob. Yeah, no, it's all good here. (laughs) Very good. So let's get into it, Michael. You better have done something interesting this week to entertain our viewers. What what have you been up to, sir? Well, I've been doing quite a few things. But uh, yesterday, no, not yesterday, two days ago. (gasps) Is that that a Pine book? It will be. I went to (laughs) a local Linux user group. And at the Linux user group, one of them happened to have a Pine book. Look and at that. They said, and I asked them if um, if they would have a problem with me uh, borrowing it to make a video on it or something like that. And they said, that's why I brought it. So that's that's awesome. Mm. Um, so anyway, I'm going to do a, um, a video do on this. Do they know you're never giving it back? <laughs> well, we I guess they just we'll, heard it here first. We'll see about what happens there. Um, right. But basically, this... this uh, this laptop is pretty good, and I'll give like a full version of, you know, the different things about it. That is okay. So here's another. Here's one thing that I can tell you. This laptop, but right now is an issue. Has an issue. It cannot be suspended. As in, you can't suspend it in the air with magic. Oh no no no! I just try to suspend it, and it won't turn back on. Oh okay. So there's, gotcha. there's there's a negative right so you there. You have to hard power down and hard power back up type yeah. of laptop. Yeah, unfortunately. Well, to to so everybody knows the but Pine Book is cool. about a hundred dollars, right? Yeah. It goes for about a hundred bucks. You have to sign up on a on a list when they when they make enough of them or enough people sign up, they make a bulk of them and send them out. So for a hundred dollars, if you're just missing suspend, that's Okay. It's not, I mean, for it, here's the crazy thing. If it, they just put like a little bit extra effort into the uh, the keyboard, it would be uh-huh. an amazing product because even if it costs like 150, it would still be amazing if the keyboard was slightly better. Like there's yeah. certain issues where the, some of the keys don't activate when they should and things like that. But overall, I'll get to like the details in the video when I make it. But it's a really cool laptop because it's actually very nicely designed. So like it has... Uh, really nice looking keyboard and it has like a very nice touchpad with multi-touch support and like wow. overall it's a it's a really solid piece so of on cheap keyboards usually when you're typing does the keyboard material like push in like yeah it feels good it feels oh it does it feel it doesn't yeah. feel flimsy no it, right. it, it doesn't feel it feels like a plastic keyboard but it's not it feels good <laughs> the issue yeah. is that sometimes the keys don't like they'll go in but they won't register in the software so it's not you know, uh, you just got to type it three, four, five, six times. Yeah, yeah. You got to be very specific about make sure if you mm-hmm. peck at the keyboard, it'd be fine. But if you're a fast typer, it might not be that good. But overall, for $100, I'm surprised of how good this actually is. So, but also, by the way, it has neon on here. So, of course, plasma. And, All right. Uh, but <laughs> And that's a sticker on the back, right? That's not yeah. a... Yeah, it's, it's not etched in there, right? It's, it's not etched, no. But here's what's crazy about this. So, you see the back... The the back has a sticker on the on it. Yeah, pine cone. But the pine right. book part is actually like either lasered on or etched on. Oh, yeah. nice. So it's kind of like they put effort into the when you're looking at it, but if someone else is looking at it, they didn't put that much effort in. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was so. very nice that they let you borrow that. I oh, hope yeah. they know 
with you, you'll, they'll never get it back. They will uh, get it back. Only Whether I make the video or not is different. <laughs> yeah, it's coming out in 2022. You guys will get to know about the Pine Book, as one of our patrons mentioned. <laughs> that was brilliant. Okay, so that's awesome, though. Let us, uh, we'll be look forward to seeing that on your channel, Tux Digital, and a review on that sometime. Uh, but you'll also give us some updates if you end up falling in love with uh, this Pine Book. It may be your new go-to. You know, never know. So Zeb, how have you been doing this week? <laughs> well, I'm I'm on week three of my self-imposed um, move away from distro hopping. So I've just had another great week of of using Linux, turning the machine on in the morning. Instead of deciding what distro am I going to use today, it's right here's the distro. Let's just get some stuff done on it. So, yep, I've been having a really good time, and I might start. I think I'm beginning to feel the twitch. So Oh, there think, he is. There he is. Yeah, think, he's back. He's back. I think, th- I think 30 days is going to be long enough. If, if I'd have made it 60 days, I think I would have failed. But So how are you liking Arch? Pep Arch. No, no, Pep no. Arch. It Pep work. Arch. That's a good one. We could Pep do some Arch. Pep Arch. You're on Peppermint first. So um, actually, Arch I think this is an interesting topic because I've stopped – I've tried to stop distro hopping. And so, you know, I've been on Fedora kick for a while. And uh, hey, when he was on have... Arch last week. Wait, 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 wait. And, uh, and I have my Arch install. <laughs> and then I have my Ubuntu Mate install. And those are the three that I'm keeping on my machine. And I, I haven't moved from the Fedora has been there the whole time now. Ubuntu Mate has been there the whole time. The only thing I switched out recently in the last couple of weeks was Arch. So I think this is my three. These are my three distros. Right now I'm in Fedora, for instance, but earlier in the week I was in Arch. My laptop's still on Arch. So I'm really enjoying that combination there because you get the best of all three worlds, you know. Hmm. But isn't it weird just doing stuff instead of installing stuff? Yeah, it's it's actually very productive to actually Hmm. not be distro hopping all the time. You can actually get things done and uh, work on things that are legitimate other than just talking about here's the next uh, distro that I tried this week. So I, I do mm-hmm. think there is a point where you have to kind of stop distro hopping for a while and and, and do something productive. <laughs> so I like your 30-day challenge there, Zeb. I think, it's, uh, I think that's a good one. So what are you going to say, Michael? I was just going to say I'll have to do a reverse 30-day challenge and actually try to use something other than what I already used. The Me and Zeb stop distro hopping, you start distro hopping. Exactly. Yeah, that'll work. All right, so one of our favorite segments is emails. We got an interesting email this week, Zeb. You want to walk us through it? I certainly do. Um, We pick emails that that we find interesting, and up till now, they've all been really good and upbeat. But one of the things that we're asking you guys is, tell tell us what we're doing. Tell us what we're doing wrong. Tell us how we need to change it. Um, And this actually started off as one of those um, emails. And we all thought, hmm, this feels weird. (laughs) We don't like it. We don't like the feeling. No. (laughs) Yeah. So, So what they went on to say is, thanks for producing a great podcast and sharing your passion for all things Linux. He goes on to say that he's writing to applaud our decision to feature Wendy Hill of Wendy Hill Photography on episode 89. I was starting to feel that all you guys do is install and admire new distros and desktops and mull over inside and use. It's not true, but sometimes. (laughs) Having a look at functioning OSs and desktops is important, but what 
what good is a rally car sitting in the garage? And I wasn't quite sure show what to your friends. analogy meant. Because there are rally car collectors. There are, you know, luxury yeah, car Yeah, you ever watch the show collectors. Jay Leno's Garage? Bam. Got him. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but, but so he, but he made, a, he made a, an important point that, you know, try not to become stagnant. We didn't think we were stagnant, but, but we took it on board and, and we're going to listen to you and, and try and continue the mix that we think we like to bring to you. Um, and then, interestingly enough, he went on to tell us a little bit about his, his, his Linux story. So, again, you guys will have to help me because I've struggled over this all week. Here's my TLDR Linux story. That's a that's a Reddit thing. It's like today too, too long didn't read, didn't read. Oh, it's like me. <laughs> that's what it means. TLDR <laughs> is too long, long didn't read. read. Yeah. So they 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 usually put like a TLDR at the end of a Reddit post for a long story and then just have two sentences to summarize it type of thing. Right. right. The TLDR okay. is the is like the small like the the two sentences. Zeb, you stick with us. You're going to be so hip. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Great stuff. So yeah. he goes on to say that in 2004 he wanted to record TV shows, but he couldn't find anything suitable. Um, so the first DVRs were either too expensive or too cheap, or, or that they were either too expensive and he was too cheap to buy a TiVo. So he set forth to buy build his own myth tv box yeah um so this all went on and he did its own thing and he's saying let's jump right in with fedora core 4 nice. every time i would get stuck and i got stuck on a great deal of things i would start over nuke and repave ad and blah 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 we've all been there yeah um and then in 2008 he went back to myth tv um but this time he found myth buntu Hardy Heron, which mm -hmm. I was going to say was about 2008, but he's already told us that. So good yeah. guess, Seb. That was 804, I think. <laughs> well done, Seb. <laughs> yeah, so you I'm, answered your own I'm quiz. Getting I'm getting there. <laughs> so he he enjoys using HD Home Run and Cable Card, um, and then a successful cord cutting year and a half. So I'm guessing he got everything working and he was able to get rid of his um, cable company. Yeah. Um, so, it, so that was a success and that's how he's been using Linux. He goes on to say that he's a creative director at a brand experience agency in Detroit. And while I use Linux for many things professionally and personally, my daily driver is running High Sierra. <laughs> what? what? Yeah. Well, oh, hang sorry. on. Apple fanboy? No? Object. Yeah, <laughs> like, okay. I, I, ran, I ran a MacBook, but I put Linux on my MacBook. What kind of my phone MacBook do you have, Brian? Looked beautiful. What? What kind of phone do you have? We're talking about MacBooks. <laughs> and I don't know what you're talking about. I have both phones because I'm just yeah. that cool. Well, to, to be clear to everybody, we're, we're making a joke about it, but we actually are uh, adamant. We're, we're more uh, helping people use Linux, but we're not going to, if you're not going to use Linux fully, it's not necessarily like a requirement to. Like, yeah, we're just going to call you gross. It's not a requirement. Yeah, we're not <laughs> going to call you filthy, filthy dual booters, are we, Ryan? Filthy yeah. dual booter, that's what we're going to yeah. call you. But we no, love you. Right, yeah. yeah, that's, that's, that's just a do... love phrase, yeah. Mm. He says that he has to use that because he collaborates with others to make a lot of content. Um, he says, don't hate me. It's a real nice, stable OS with a pretty desktop, something I know you guys appreciate. Um, He's I just do jabbing have... that in there, isn't he, with the desktop and review mm -hmm. stuff. 
yeah. I, I do have VMware Fusion with Windows and Ubuntu VMs that I use to solve problems. For me, computers and software are not a cause, they are a means to an end. Um, and I think that's that's quite right. I mean, we've all we all our, you know can be a bit evangelistic, sure. and we've all got our own favourites. But at the end of the day, you have to use the tools to get the job done. So whether that be Mac or Windows or Linux, I use Arch. <laughs> yeah, at least yeah, it wasn't the first thing be, you said this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to you have to use what what you've done. So he says, I love learning new things, and I truly appreciate your podcast. Thanks. Scott. Um, and although it was a, as a, a, a bit long and I didn't really present it well, I think it was actually a very well worded um, email. And we are going to listen to his, his first you know, sentiments of don't just talk about you know, distros and distro hopping and desktops and all the rest of it. Get some people on to show real life experiences. And, but the one thing I found really funny about it is the one thing he wants us to do more of didn't we do it before he told us to? That's right. Yep. So we win. Now, I, I think it's a valid <laughs> point. We always want to try, you know, we don't want to just be news that you already get from several other places. And we've, we've talked about that internally well before this, but I think it's a good reminder of where we're going with the show and the people that we bring on and the, the awesome guests that we have and all of that. Uh, mostly this is about our discussion and what we find interesting. Yeah. And sometimes in the week, there just isn't a lot of interesting news. Sometimes it is just distro stuff going on, but it's definitely something we always keep in mind. And even though I made fun of uh, Scott here a little bit, I have to give him mad props because he said in this email that he wears a Linux propeller beanie with pride. Nothing screams switch to Linux like a propeller beanie. So if you can sport that in public and rock that, you have my <laughs> mad respect and I would love to have a beanie propeller with Linux on it myself. So there you go. So how do you use Linux? Zeb has threatened all of you multiple times. So if you haven't sent it already, you're on his naughty list uh, to send us an email of how you use Linux and the applications that you found to accomplish your work. Let us know about them at comments at destinationlinux.org or else Zeb may show up to your house and it will not be a pleasant visit. Trust me. He'll bring the baton. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so going into some of our news, I found a really interesting article that I thought you guys would have some opinions on. It was an article titled Ubuntu Debian and others leave users vulnerable. So as soon as I saw this heading, I kind of jumped into it to figure out what they were going to bring up. I kind of, you know, usually roll my eyes a little bit at these type of things. So but you're saying the clickbait worked. The clickbait worked perfectly. <laughs> if you ever want to prove clickbait works, this is it. So uh, this article was based on a researcher, Jan Horn, who works on the Google Project Zero uh, team. And they basically put out this warning that Ubuntu, Debian, and others, and any a lot of the major distros, are leaving users vulnerable due to their kernel update delays. What do you guys think? Are we ha Have we all been left out here vulnerable to attack and didn't even realize it? I think that they're, they're exaggerating because they're saying that the, when the distros are not updating um, in a timely manner, but they're also not giving it a lot of time to do so. 
So it's kind of, in my opinion, it's like they're kind of reaching a little farther because they're saying that because the a particular version of Linux kernel was released and then a week later it wasn't in, included in these distros, that that somehow is going to leave those the, those users vulnerable like because of these security holes. And it, I think a week is a little bit of an extreme for for them to, you know, worry about whether that particular exact version is because the previous versions would be there. And, you know, they might have a couple security vulnerabilities in general, but, like, they're not going to be catastrophic. And if they are going to be catastrophic, like the Intel uh, meltdown Spectre problems, they got the day it was released, the, all the distros pushed it out. So, you know, I, sp- I guess it depends on which what kind of security vulnerability there is. So this is really a battle between stability and security, right? Because on one side, if... Ubuntu started pushing out these every kernel update the second it happened. Mm-hmm. They're probably going to have nonstop bug report tickets out the wazoo. Yeah, they need but, to make sure they test it once they right. once, once they comes out. They need to have time to test and to make sure that the stuff that they have on their distro is compatible with that particular version. And if there's anything that needs to be modified for their kernel, then they could do so. So yeah, there's there should be a little bit of a of a leeway between that time. Yeah, and and I think you've also got to look at the person who wrote it because he works for Google. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, he so, they care about security. <laughs> yeah, because aren't, aren't like seventy percent of their devices not on the latest OS or something? Uh, yeah, that, yeah, the the yeah. fact that uh, Android just updated to like four point four yet they and and also that's ridiculously old right now. And they're right before they had that, it was three point eighteen. So they're not really that much that interested in getting the latest kernel available in their own stuff. No, absolutely. And and like I've always said on, on, on these things, okay, so it's taking them a week before they get out that um, kernel update. So how many thousands and thousands of Linux users had their machines mashed, mullered, overtaken, wiped out by viruses because of this security risk. Okay, well, based, tons. Well, yeah, based on my research, there was a, I, I found at least let's, no one. Oh, you got to carry the two. Oh, oh, okay, negative, no one. <laughs> oh, reminds me of my salary, but hey, that's another subject. <laughs> so, yes, it's important to get these things into place because my understanding is that. Whilst they're out there and machines are vulnerable, it's not until people go, oh, my God, look, have a look at this source code. This is what you can do, you evil people. Let me give you the information you need to take over my machine. Oh, ha, 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 too late. I fixed it. If they didn't tell you about it in the first place, then these guys wouldn't find out about it and then couldn't exploit it. The counter argument to that is that there will always be guys who are even cleverer than the white hat hackers. So they will find it and they will exploit it. But I bring you back to my original statement. In all the years you've been using Linux, how many times have you heard about thousands and thousands of Linux machines going down because of these vulnerabilities? We hear it all the time happening with Windows because it's a real threat. I don't think on the Linux side of things, although, yes, it is a real threat, I don't think it's a threat that's actually material. Well, not in the time frame that it takes. Now, I laugh at the direction of this general article and claim as an Arch user because I'm always on the latest. (laughs) 
but for everybody else, okay. there is a, there is a particular there is a particular example this person gave. He said a security issue was announced on the OSS security mailing list on 9-18-2018 with a CVE allocation on 9-19-2018, making the need to ship new distribution kernels to users more clear. Still, as of 9-26-2018, both Debian and Ubuntu in releases 16.04 and 18.04 track that bug is unfixed. So that is his proof as to the danger of this particular situation here. So what's that, 18 to 26, a six week. days? A week. A week. Based on uh, the CV, the one that was 919 CV, CV, mm. I mean. Like a week, give or take some change. If So yes, that, that, they, that is an issue that they need to update as much as, as fast as possible, but there also needs to be some kind of lenience of how fast is possible as, mm. as you know, practical. Because a week, yeah. the, the fact that they made this article or this this blog post about this, they they waited a week, is kind of is kind of ridiculous in a way because they're maintaining multiple different versions of their distro. Like they still maintain twelve oh four if people want them to, but they typically are you know even fourteen oh four sixteen oh four. They're still pushing out security updates at all, all the time when they're when there's necessary and they've te- they've done all the testing and they've done all the you know make sure the upgrades are working and everything like that. So I don't think mm-hmm. a week is a reasonable amount of time for them to, you know, start un- attacking them and saying that they're leaving the users vulnerable and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, there is, if, if the Google individual didn't convince you, Greg Crow Hartman, who is a Linux kernel developer, apparently has also been critical of vendors implementing patches, taking too long to implement patches on in the past as well. So I think it's an interesting issue. It's not like he's not bringing up a valid point here that, you know, we want to get the security fixes in as quickly as possible. But there is always that balance of stability with safety that has to happen and the realistic aspects of how how much can a hacker do in between discovery and patching of a hole in a week's period and that type of stuff. So I mean, it's a, it's an issue. I don't know that there's any solutions here, and that would be the complaint I would have about the article is there was no solution there either. So if you're going to present something like this, it would be better to say, well, if they did this, then it would fix this issue, and this is all they need to do because I'm sure if the solution was fantastic and worked well enough, everyone would be on board with implementing it because yeah. it's not cool. like they don't want to put people on the latest kernel of security fixes. It's just a matter of actually having a stable operating system, which tends to be pretty important. There's also issues of the different versions of the kernel being maintained or not being maintained. So if they're using one that's not maintained, they have to, you know, they have to keep track of that and they have to update it and send patches to their version, stuff like that. And also, like, just this year they announced that the Linux kernel project announced that they're going to do a longer period of time for the LTS versions, which gives more likelihood that they're going to get maintenance because uh, one of the things that Greg KH has said uh, many times is that the uh, projects will or systems will use the kernel and not update the kernel but they want to stick to an, a specific version of that kernel and not update entirely because then they have to do all this testing and but but now that they have the the changes for the LTS it makes it a lot easier for them to do that testing and not have to worry about changing the underlying kernel that much so it it's it's okay that if they're if they're using an LTS kernel, but it, I guess it depends on which kernel they're using because the CVEs are patched in various different versions of the kernel. So 
Um, I, I agree that they, they need to, if they're going to be critical in this way, they should provide a solution. But uh, I don't think there currently really is a solution that could be facilitated within a week. Mm-hmm. And just as a little aside here, what was really quite funny when I started to talk about the fact that, you know, how many people do you know where whose machines have been hacked? As I was saying that, both my monitors went black. <laughs> Perfect. And I realized it's because I hadn't moved my mouse for 15 minutes, so the monitors were just turning themselves off on a screensaver mode. But it was I knew you hadn't <laughs> patched and I DDoSed you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. Someone was attacking me. Got him. <laughs> well, um, some other people are saying that the Linux kernel is being attacked. That's a good segue. Anyway, so Linux has responded to some of the concerns about the uh, people that have concerns about the code of conduct changes and his him taking a break. And uh, the BBC had an interview with with Linus about uh, the, his opinions of, the, of these these different topics. And his there were, his responses are really interesting. I mean, they're they're typical Linus responses, right? They're what we all expect and love from him. Yep. And I think it clears up a lot of the controversy that's been around the code of conduct and, you know, this conspiracy theories and things out there. Not that sometimes those theories don't aren't true, but there were a lot of them out there about, you know, Linus was going to be moved out and nobody's going to be able to get work done and all that stuff. So there was only five questions, but they were fascinating, the answers in them. So which one spoke to you, Michael? I think the, the probably the most important piece is the meritocracy question where they asked, uh, will Linux stop being a meritocracy where the best code rises to the top? And his response was basically, um, no, that's not going to happen. It's, <laughs> it's going to continue to be a meritocracy. There's no chance that people are going to just, it's going to stop being that. So he says, mm-hmm. I'm trying to get rid of the of my outburst and be more polite about things. But technically wrong is still technically wrong, and I won't Love start it. accepting bad code just to make people feel better about themselves. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I could just see this I love it. three weeks ago because that last statement wouldn't have been, and I won't start accepting bad code just to make people feel better. He would have said, and I won't, I won't start accepting crap just to make people feel better. So already... Or more colorful than that even. Maybe yeah. even more colorful. Yeah. Already yeah. He's, he's made leaps and bounds in, in, in what, he's, what he's trying to say. But he gets that point across. Technically wrong is still technically wrong. It's like poetry. It's beautiful. It's well said, and there's no colorful metaphors in it at all. Uh, absolutely love it. The, the other one, Zeb, when they asked him, will people be censored in Linux circles? What was his response to that? Um, well, what he was talking about there was, he says, I may have my reservations about excessive political correctness, but honestly, I absolutely do not want to be seen as being in the same camp. And then he goes on with an almost Linus type rant about the group of people who have been attacking the code of the conduct um, and we will leave um, notes in the in the show notes so that you can go and read it yourself. Yep. But basically, what he's saying is, "Come on, just get a grip with you. Get get some. It's almost like get a life where this this code of conduct is a good thing. It's not going to be used to censor people. It's not going to be used to kick people out of of what they're doing. It was just needed to curb a little bit of unnecessariness that was that was going on within." 
within within the within the, you know within the Linux kernel development that caused a couple of people to leave. But like all of these things, you'll get one extreme says one thing, one extreme says the other, and I think all that Linus is trying to do is just to pull everybody back into line and say, "Come on, That's let's right. just be sensible about this." I mean, we even got our nice email ourselves when we covered this episode. <laughs> Right, we got a nice we comment. Got, we, got uh, a couple, we got a few. Uh, yeah, comments uh, some people were, using uh, some really interesting, colorful language yeah. at us for not realizing how important this is. So, I, I completely <laughs> see his point here, uh, and some of the people that you may come across, and uh, we certainly did uh, in a, a few weeks ago. Uh, if that's the case, why didn't Linux have a real code of conduct much earlier? So. He goes on that uh, this was kind of a longer answer for him, but the short of it is he found a lot of people who pushed for a code of conduct and criticized him for cursing to be hypocritical and pointless in his words. Uh, he could easily point you to various tweet storms by people who criticize his behavior while at the same time cursing more than he ever did. So that's his excuse for dismissing a lot of the politically correct concerns for years. He felt it wasn't worth it. Anybody who used a certain terms was simply not worth his time even talking to, he felt. So, you know, I think that's very interesting, too, because some of these individuals, like Zeb said, on either side, on the extreme of either side, can be very vicious and mean and mm -hmm. uh, really aren't worth talking to, frankly. And so that was why he was kind of leaving it out. At the same time, he realized that while he doesn't want to go to any of those extremes, that there should be a level of bringing back some uh, civilized discussion within the tech notes and keeping out some of the more colorful language in there to make things more peaceful and just be focusing on the technical aspects and not the personal aspects of things. So mm -hmm. that's kind of there. And um, what was interesting about what you just said then about, um, you know, the nastiness of both extremes, he actually went on uh, in this article to point out that, why is he changing? Well, he realizes that his colorful language and strong language was a bit rich and wasn't necessarily the way to do it. But he said, but I do claim that it was never any kind of nastiness. I got upset with bad code and people who made excuses for it and used some pretty strong language in the process. Not good behavior. Yep, And then he goes on to say a couple of other things about the extremists that are out there coming up with some of the arguments now. So it was just him. That's just his character. That's who he is. He saw this bad code, got fed up with people trying to justify it. So he lashed out of them. Not to be nasty, but because he was frustrated and maybe he didn't know or didn't stop to think, count to 10, and then give his reply. So yeah. very interesting article. And I think he's he's answered a lot of the critics, but that will just inflame both ends of the of the market again to say, well, he's this is just oh, they'll still be mad. Yeah, there's no there's no fixing one side or the other. But most of the people who are moderate in the middle, yeah, uh, they're going to enjoy this because I think it does put a lot of the conspiracies to rest uh, in here. And so you can go check it out. We'll have it linked in our notes. Yeah, um, I do like and, the title of the article. It basically says that a quote from him. It says, "I'll, I'll never be cuddly." but I can be more polite. There you go. And I like that, that. That's, that's the end of it. So uh, go check out that article. And Zeb, you have some big news for us because everything we have come to know and love is about to change in the digital arena. Is that right? Allegedly. Okay. <laughs> right. So 
Um, the World Wide Web is attributed to a gentleman called Tim Berners-Lee. Um, and he has plans to create a decentralized web where data is controlled by the users. Now, he goes on to Finally. say... <laughs> yeah. He, he goes on to say that he thinks that the World Wide Web at the moment is in the control of digital giants, which is not in our best interests. Um, and, and his direct quote is, the web was evolved into an engine of inequity and division. It's, harder, it's kind of hard to just to, to argue that some of the, like the, the people, there's giant tech, uh, tech companies that have control over the interest of like privacy and stuff because they have all our data. So it, it is kind of hard to argue that that's hmm. not the case because Google and Facebook are a very good example that it pretty much is. Yeah. 50 million accounts hacked in one go. Pretty good so, example. And then a follow up of 40 more. 40 million yeah, absolutely yeah so. so what he's done he's created an open source project called solid and the basic idea behind solid is that you can create pods personal data store you then decide where it will be hosted and who can access it how is this ever going to work oh, well i'll explain it to you zeb and by the time i'm done you're going to have your own pod really yes absolutely so a pod well, let me make a prediction Okay. Pixelated games. Not going to happen. <laughs> You're going to put this in the same category as a pixelated game. Absolutely. Uh, it could be a Megasphere, though. Yeah, it could be. Oh, well done, Michael. Well done. You know, I, I think there's some real... I have a lot of interest in this particular subject because I having a decentralized World Wide Web, well, it's the theme of... Uh, the TV show Silicon Valley, even in, in some cases, if anybody watches that, but it's also something that a lot of privacy advocates would like to have. Um, and obviously the creator of the World Wide Web or the person who's known for creating it would have some really good ideas, you would think in general, of how you could accomplish something like that. Uh, there are too many companies controlling data and taking data and nobody seems to have any ability to stop this. So the idea of being able to control your data into a pod seems really interesting to me. He describes it on the site as a basically think about a USB stick for the web uh, that you can access anywhere. So take the data that you want to store on there. You have some of it that's private, some of it that you could make public on your own decision and you decide what goes out there. So basically your own personal web space, if you will. Um, he provides the the company called solid does provide or have providers for you to set up your own server within to create your pod and the idea is very much in the stages of creation so we don't really know everything it could be or what it could be turned into right but um obviously there's a lot of hurdles here when you start going through and creating your own pod which i did and you start playing with it and you start thinking about all the ideas that the individual has and trying to comprehend how is this all actually going to come together and be useful for somebody outside of a geek, right? right. Me, I'm going to go get a pod just because it's the new thing and I'm going to play with it. And if I get bored, I'll leave. But setting it up, I'll figure it out. Whereas your average Joe Schmo, like I'm thinking my parents, my wife, whatever, she ain't going to go out there and create a pod unless the pod's called Facebook, probably. Um, well, so, funny you should say that, Ryan, because what yeah. I was going to say was take 30 million users, 
give them the opportunity to put what they want out on the web and then go and look at the quality of Facebook posts. Do you really want this out there? <laughs> wow, really? that's sobering. Uh, one of the reasons why I left like. uh, Facebook many, many years ago before the privacy concerns was the sheer level of stupidity of people that made me leave it. Like I couldn't stand it. I was like, I used to like you. Yeah. Now I hate you because you're stupid. And that's what Facebook was to me. Like mm. there was an old joke that Facebook makes you hate the people you know and Twitter makes you like people you never met. And that's an old uh, social media joke there. So, yeah, but I signed up for it. It's very simple. Like there's only three main areas, profile, inbox, and public folder. And you can move stuff, I guess, between those to say, I want this to be public. I want this to be private. And you've got your own little URL that it creates. So, I mean, as far as setup and getting up and running on interrupt.net, it was very easy um, and to set up. But then again, I, after I set it up, I was like, okay, why? Why am I here? What do I do and, now? And let me guess, all your articles that you set up, you copied and pasted from the web. No, I mean, I, I moved them from like simple note, moving text files and things over because I didn't want anything that could actually be stolen. Because who oh, am so I? So we've got all your banking passwords now. Great. <laughs> no, I would never put that out there. That's the <laughs> thing is you're trusting one provider, right? I'm not saying he's not completely trustworthy, but how, who's to it's, say what's different, he's really? more trustworthy than anybody else? Yeah, like, he's, hmm. providing, he's providing the servers. And, and you, if you... There's still going to be a middleman somewhere. Somewhere there's going to be someone that's... Unless you are providing the hardware yourself, then there is a potential... Actually, no. Because even then, there's you're still connected to an ISP, so you got to trust that company is not trying to siphon the data going through their ISP. So you're still having to deal with... There's 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 going to be someone that you have to rely on if you're going to connect to the web. Or, or I'm sorry, to a pod. Any, any kind of thing that requires the internet in some way, you're going to have to use some kind of service to, to do that, whether it's a server, whether it's an ISP or whatever. Mm -hmm. So like, it, it's an, I understand this, the, the, the decentralization. That's why Mastodon exists, and that's why Diaspora exists, stuff like that. I want him to be successful, and I don't want to just throw up all over this idea because I think it's too early. I just, these are the questions I have that make me go, I'm not quite sure what to do with this yet because he's, he has a section where he wants people to volunteer and help. So if you're interested in helping build this into something unique, you can volunteer uh, to help, but he wants apps and things created because he's talking about, Hey, at some point, you know, instead of having your fitness trackers and GPS and data to random companies, you could have it send it to your pod and then you decide what's released. And I'm not quite sure how you'd get the, you know, basically you would have to root your device to get it to send the data yeah. elsewhere because a lot of that's built. So I have so many questions of how this would work unless he creates his own hardware line or creates certain partnerships. It's a very bold and big idea. Then again, the world was built on people, you know, going out there and charging forth with bold ideas and maybe he can turn this into something. I will say I would love to get in his head some more and kind of understand his point of view on it because maybe the explanations on the website and the articles aren't doing justice for where he sees this going. So I'm still interested, oh, but yeah. I don't quite see the vision yet. Let me so obviously he didn't put his ideas out there on his own pod. <laughs> Zeb, what are we going to do with you, Zeb? <laughs> Sorry, I'm just, maybe I'm just too cynical in my old age. <laughs>
All right. Well, let's move on from switching the World Wide Web to being decentralized to Michael. It's time for you to confess. Um, well, we need, we'll see we need. if there's anything to confess. But there was an interesting uh, thread that was posted on the R Linux subreddit, and yeah. that was titled, What is your biggest mistake in Linux that caused major system <laughs> issues? I love this whole article. Yeah, this is a really good one because there's a lot of people who were responding with uh, a lot of like the, the same thing, but also there's like, you know, they were upvoting. The probably the funniest thing is because, and also what's made me not like specifically not purchase a laptop with it was there's a, the, the top one was uh, buying a laptop with Optimus. <laughs> and um, yeah. That was the top voted mistake your biggest mistake you ever made in linux buying a laptop with optimus i loved it i i, I specifically when i saw the optimus come out and i look at the set like the support i was for it i was like i'll just i'll just deal with a regular Pulse. intel chip and just not worry about that <laughs> yeah so one of our patrons mentioned zeb that they know someone who ddos themselves <laughs> no that's a that's a rumor that's i a asked rumor. you to i asked you to delete that from that episode michael <laughs> oh did you i'm sorry uh, another one was an Arch system install where they basically changed out all of their package sources to point to, because I guess they wanted Ubuntu packages instead of other. <laughs> so they pointed to all the Ubuntu repos and then rebooted. And my favorite thing about this was someone's reply to it that said, this actually sounds kind of entertaining to take all your arch sources and move it to Ubuntu's package management yeah, to see what happens, I guess. Mm -hmm. yep. I like the one where um, somebody just made the smallest of mistakes and they hit the space key instead of typing the next character. So basically what they've done is they've gone capital RM space minus RF, all good so far, space backslash, Yep, all fine now. Space, oops, home, <laughs> backslash, dollar, user. And it was actually the, the, the space after the backslash, because basically what they've just done is said, remove everything, um, do it recursively from the root folder down. <laughs> <laughs> just because they put one little space in there. So I, like, I think that's got to be a big fubar. I like how a lot of these started out with I was drinking, I was drunk, I was so don't Linux and <laughs> don't drink in Linux is the answer. Either that or they're just uh, trying to mask the embarrassment of the errors. But uh, we've all made funny mistakes in here. And one of the ones that spoke to me because it's a mistake I made uh, in my Linux career, I was drunk. No, I'm teasing. I really wasn't. Uh, was basically doing a CH own um and uh, recursively across my root folder to make everything owned by the user. So apparently you're not supposed to do that. No, not really. <laughs> I thought it would fix all my permission issues. <laughs> well, that, that's the same as doing it the other way around. Start going to your home folder and giving it root permission. Yeah. <laughs> when you then reboot. Yeah, I can't even blame drinking on it. Yeah, <laughs> well, there's, I mean, there's everything. Everybody has uh, an issue like that. Uh, mine was probably uh, I have a couple, but uh, if we're gonna go back to the early days, I started using Linux in the '90s, and that itself was a mistake. So, <laughs> um, but it was a little torture in that in that tier, that period of time. 
But as far as like what's like legitimate, just ridiculous decision that I made and didn't think about it until it was too late. I was using a, a like a jump drive, flash drive, where I had a live USB on it, and I built a, built a machine, uh, mounted a drive, and then did the whole. You know, I did the safe to remove the drive and everything. It was not like I just pulled it out or whatever. But I did safely remove the drive prior to unmounting the you know, the drive that I have in the actual machine. And unfortunately, this was back in a, you know, quite a few years ago. I don't remember exactly when, but this was during a time where that was a no-no. And when mm. you do that, and it, it would keep the mount point, like the drive itself would believe that it is mounted at all times forever. So nice. I had to do a, like a disk recovery type thing. And I'm still going through all the files that I pulled off of it. Some of which I forgot existed, so I guess that's a good thing. <laughs> wow. Well, mine, as you can possibly guess, isn't necessarily that technical, but it was it was based back in the days when I was just trying to learn Linux. And to me, early was 2009, and I realized that it was probably quite well developed then. But I don't know how many times I had to reinstall Windows because I mucked up Linux partitioning. Mm. And and not understanding the dev SDA SDB SDC, and and even back then I used to buy hard disks that were exactly the same in the exactly the same model, so I'd have three ten gigabyte hard disks in my machine and go right Windows is that one that, that and not realizing that just because Windows does its CDE that isn't the way the machine looks at them. Mm -hmm. So, gotcha. you know, I'd go in and think, right, well, I need it on my second drive. So I'd format the second drive and reboot and think, where's Windows gone? Well, actually, Windows was installed to the second drive in the chain. And that's when I came up with the, with the statement for myself that to understand true frustration, one must only go so far as to install Linux. <laughs> <laughs> and that was before I get to know it. And it took me to about 2014 before I finally twigged, ah, it's got nothing to do with CDE. It's the way they're laid out in the machine. Nice. And now I can, and now I can almost do it with my eyes shut. So, yeah. Yep. Nice. Well, we also got some. I, I uh, asked our Telegram group to tell us their embarrassing stories. So I got a couple here from them. Uh, one says, once after installing KDE, I tried to remove GNOME to free up some disk space. I think I removed too many files because I couldn't start any graphical interface. So they went in there and just removed everything GNOME related and... That didn't quite work. Uh, one was, well, once I was doing LS command and got no command found, command not found. Turns out I had fat fingered an RM and did RM dash RF to the root, but I feel like a lot of us have done that. Actually, nobody has actually ever done that. A accidentally step. type RM RF instead of LS. Nobody's I don't ever think done that's that. happened. You're the I'm first sorry, person I'm, ever. No, I'm, I'm looking at the keyboard and... LS and RM are miles apart. Yeah. They're not even, it's not even <laughs> as if you'd slipped down a row when you wasn't looking at the keyboard. I like and how we it, confess to our stupid mistakes, but now we're heckling other people. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I, I just like the way he's on. describing it. I accidentally typed this and was like, what was the real reason? Why did it happen? Yeah. <laughs> That's he was what drunk, I okay? Uh, probably, they were drunk. Probably. Yeah. That's okay. Uh, another one was change the permissions on the home folder. No problem until I tried to log in the next time. X doesn't load that way, by the way. <laughs> like how they, 
I like how they follow it up with, by the way, it's not going to work when you do this. Yeah. And then somebody accidentally deleted Tomcat files on a production web server. Well oh. done, sir. Well, if wow. we're talking about server stuff, I got some stories. <laughs> does, does he still work there? Probably not. Uh, I've accidentally deleted stuff, and I would be. I, I had one time where I made this custom, really cool plugin for us for our CMS, and then I upgraded the framework for that CMS and forgot to make a copy of that plugin, and it destroyed it. So I had to rewrite oh, it. Nice. That was not fun. So that's and that was only like seven eight months ago. <laughs> So yeah. it happens <laughs> oh really that's an early confession i love yeah, it yeah i so, mean mm-hmm. as far as when you go to like work stuff i mean my personal stuff i don't mess up and work stuff who knows it could happen who knows yeah. mm-hmm. and the last item that i'll mention that didn't happen because it was something i did but just something that the company i worked for we religiously made backups Week after week after week, four sets, took the third set off-site and then brought it back as we took the next set off-site. Everything was going great. Everything was working. Everything was verifying. And then we had a server crash. So we brought the tapes out. Oh, error. Tape's not working. Six weeks of backup tapes failed because we forgot to do any verification checks. So that's why I say now, your (laughs) last backup, is only as good as your last restore. Yeah. Because if you don't try and use the backups... It doesn't matter if you have it right or not. Yeah, and it doesn't matter because Unix says it's been verified and it's working. Uh -uh, The tape said, no thanks, not working. (laughs) That's a a very good point. So let's get into our gaming news, and then after gaming, we're going to do software spotlight and tips and tricks of the week. So we wanted to try something new this week, and I think you guys are really going to love this because we talk about gaming every week, but it's just us talking about gaming and what do we really know? Why not bring in the expert on gaming, the very source we use for most of our gaming news, (laughs) the Gaming on Linux creator, Liam. Liam, thank you so much for joining us to talk about gaming on Destination Linux. Thanks for having me, guys. So you were back with us on episode 48. We got you back again, and we want to know what are some hot topics going on for Linux gaming right now? Okay. Well, firstly, Steam Play is obviously the biggest thing going right now. Oh, yeah. Right. So Steam Play, the system that essentially bundles Wine with a couple other projects like DXVK and so on, and enables you to play Windows games in the Steam client on Linux without sort of much fussing around so it's just click and play like any other linux game it's Which crazy is yeah mm-hmm. because i was having a pretty ordinary week until that happened <laughs> now you've yeah. had some of the most interesting news i think of everybody regarding steam play because when this came out obviously there were people who were on the side of oh linux gaming is dead now it's dead yeah. nobody's ever going to develop for linux again and then you had people on the side who were very excited and some sitting on the fence but your, your team, you guys went out and actually started securing some interviews with developers and individuals, and we've covered that in some of our episodes, that really looks like gaming on Linux is not dead because of Steam Play, but is actually on really on the, on the scales of moving up like we would want. Yeah, it's, there was a lot of people quite concerned about it because, it, I mean, it's, it's a valid concern because having the capability to just play Windows games is obviously going to make some developers think, well, 
kind of why bother? But the major point is they, the actual game developer has no control over it. Unless yeah. they're going to dive in at the deep end with DXVK and Wine and so on, they don't really have any control at all. I mean, the support is basically out of their hands unless they're going to do that. Mm-hmm. And especially when it comes to like anti-cheat and things like that, then you're still going to need a native build because a lot of anti-cheat like battle eye and stuff like that probably never will work in wine. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's still going to be a lot of wiggle room for native ports. Yeah. So that's why I went out and spoke to a lot of developers. And it's quite funny, really, because we spoke to Ethan Lee. He was one of the most interesting ones to speak to because I simply sent him, sent him like a one line sort of, so what do you feel about Steam Play? And then he sent me like this nice wall of text. Mm-hmm. But in there was a specific bit about how he was stopping development on FNA, which is um, what he's used to port a lot of games to Linux. And he said he wanted to actually work on Steam Play. Then after that went up, I'm not kidding you, like it must have only been a few hours he had got off the phone with Valve. Wow. So it's like things Excellent. have been moved forward. Nice. So I, he's not working for them now. I think that his last update, he said he's working something out. So, you know, that's really positive, though. Oh, yeah. If they're going to be contacting the developers of different projects that they're, you know, reliant on or they just want to improve the overall experience, I mean, that's fantastic. I mean, I, I the fact that people are worried about the developers not wanting to make their games for Linux, I, I would argue, you mean like already now? <laughs> well, they're so. they're definitely like some of these these studios were never probably going to be looking at yeah. Linux until Linux had a major share of the market, but now this gets their games played. And I've already seen some stats, and no, they're not super imp- impressive. There was a rounding error error, I think, in some of the Steam numbers that they fixed and stuff. So now Linux is closing in on that one percent of the gaming market, which you know it's not impressive again, but it is increasing. Well, they, also, they increased. Do you know what the percentage, Liam, is with that, how many people they added for like it was like they added like a couple hundred thousand people recently from like just the past year or so that weren't playing. And that's why the numbers went down a little. So they just added more players in total. Well, the Steam, that's one thing that people don't seem to understand quite often is that Steam is obviously always growing. Yeah. So that even when the overall percentage might be lower, because it's a ratio, the amount of actual Linux gamers might be higher. It's, it's not a fact, a but you know, it's something to think about. But one of the more important things is that when games like Players Unknown Battlegrounds came along, it didn't have Win, uh, Mac or Linux versions, and it sort of exploded in the Asian markets, and you saw on Steam the language of simplified Chinese just skyrocketed. And at the exact same time, the Linux percentage came down. Mm -hmm. It was a direct correlation, and you could see it as clear as day that it basically destroyed the Linux market share through one game because there was a massive influx of people playing it in a market where Linux doesn't have a lot of penetration and because the game wasn't on Linux. But it wasn't, le- it wasn't suddenly m- like a million less people on Linux. It was just millions more Windows gamers. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Gotcha. That's, what, that's what I was thinking. Like, that's, that's a good example of like, because developers really care about who's playing their games. They don't really 
they don't care what system it is. So, and I think that's it, the Steam Play is a good testament to that because there's a lot of developers who have contacted Valve and asked them how can they participate, and Valve basically just said, if you make your game to work with Vulcan, you're probably good to go. So, were there some games that you were excited about to play uh, when you heard this news? For me, it was Doom and Near Automata. Those were two games yeah. that I was the most excited to play. Anything for you that you've just enjoyed since this has come out? Yeah, I dove straight in. I picked up Star Wars. The yeah. oh god, I can't remember the exact name of it, but it's it's kind of crazy because there were people playing Doom on wine like sure after it came out and uh-huh. getting a reasonable performance out of it but i bought doom and i was just i was kind of blown away by it yeah it was just mental yeah. um and it's it's great because there's not a lot of kid kids games on linux as well so this has opened up i think that avenue of it as well like my son was literally sat in this spot earlier playing a star wars game through steam play happy as anything so mm-hmm. that's a really good point i didn't even think about that aspect of it right now my son's five and he's a minecraft freak so that you know minecraft 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 but it is interesting to think about the uh aspect of bringing all the the kids games in there not just the adult games we love so you got some other topics you want to bring us to life is strange being one of them yeah i think that's part of the good news is that when we spoke to Feral Interactive, they basically said their plans haven't changed with Steam Play. So we've had a sudden barrage of announcements from them, like Life is Strange 2. So they're going to carry on that series for us. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, Total War Three Kingdoms. So we're getting another in the series of Total War, which, you know, is a, is a massively popular series. Right. And there was also the XCOM 2 DLC, which bri- basically bridges the gap between the original XCOM revamp and XCOM 2. So that's going to be really quite cool as well. But they sort of gave all three of these announcements in the space of like a week to two weeks. So that's, I don't know if that's the sign of them speeding up, but good sign. Yeah, it's a good sign that they're continuing to release these games because they were a big, we we were hanging on Feral Interactive News for a while to see which AAA titles we were going to get next. But now it's good to see that we're still getting them. Life is Strange is hugely popular. I've still never played it. Um, which I think is a shame because I hear it's just amazing. Is this something you've tried before or going to play Life is Strange? I completed Life is Strange and Before the Storm. And I think they are an acquired taste, but I I enjoyed them a lot. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. A lot. Um, my girlfriend, Sin, actually did the live stream of Before the Storm. And I think right near the end, she was practically in tears by it, which is, you know, that's what I hear. I, I hear. I hear it really moves you from a storyline yeah. uh, standpoint, which is amazing that games can cross over into that realm of fear and sadness and everything else, just like movies can. And I think that's awesome. Yeah, I yeah. want to play it, but I don't want to cry, so I'm not sure if I'm going to play it. Well, you are crying, <laughs> so, yeah, we're going to have to live stream it. Yeah, that, that, there you go. We, we, we'll cry together playing this game. <laughs> we'll cry together. <laughs> Well, the good thing is, as long as it's not pixelated, I won't cry. So I've seen it. <laughs> there you yet, go. So yeah. The good news is, Life is Strange is beautiful graphics. Uh, from mm-hmm. what I've seen, yeah, yeah. No, I've seen some streams. They are, they are, they are really awesome. But if I can just quickly pop back to the to the um, the Steam news and the the, the Proton for for a minute, what I found really interesting was when I read that even though you go out and buy a Windows game, if you predominantly play it on Steam via Proton, 
they will count it as you being a Linux user. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Valve said to me, because I emailed them about it, because it was obviously quite a valid concern, because mm. when people, well, even going back a bit, I didn't personally like buying a lot of games through Wine, mm. because I didn't feel like I was helping the situation if I did that. So that's why I just didn't really ever do it. But then along comes Steam Play, so I emailed them, asked them about it, and they basically said that the normal rules apply. So you buy it, you play it on Linux, and the platform you play the most within two weeks will count as the sale. Excellent. So the first two weeks or just like the total? No, the first two weeks. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So it means that really you... If you had quite a hard stance on Wine before, you could probably relax quite a bit on that now, as long as you're using Steam, obviously, for Steam play. Yeah, it sounds good. I mean, actually, one of the reasons I never bought Windows games is because I'd have to boot into Windows. So that's really the main reason. But then also, they wouldn't know that I was a Linux user. So if it wasn't native, I wouldn't play it. But now that Steam play allows me to be counted as a Linux user, there's really, there's actually more incentive to to try these games out anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice. And I'm sorry, just if you can, you have to forgive me because I'm not the technical one of the group. You may have gathered that <laughs> if, you, if you've watched the shows. But what, what I find confusing is that I've got Steam and I installed it and I enabled Proton and then I went to GitHub to look at the stuff that I needed to download. And I thought, well, hang on a minute. I don't need to install anything. This is just working. Does the Steam clients download all the necessary bits for you? Yes. Uh, the only thing that you actually need is the Steam client itself and then the an up-to-date version of your graphics driver because mm-hmm. they, they've they integrated literally everything you need. So that's Wine, DXBK, which is a Vulkan-based transitional layer for DirectX 10 and 11. Mm-hmm. So it all does it for you. So you, you literally download it, so Doom, you hit play, and it runs it through for you. Nice. nice. That's awesome. Yeah, no, that is that is brilliant. Like, that was another reason I didn't really like using Wine a lot because it felt like you had to often go through all these little configuration bits and it's just like, I don't have time for that. I just <laughs> yeah, want to exactly. hit play and play. And yeah. that's why, again, Steam Play is good. And then also there's a different different games had different requirements for different versions of Wine. And you're like, well, you could, you'd have to do with the Wine bottles and or, or get like something that can compensate for it, like play on Linux or something like that. And this way you just install steam play and then you're good to go well if you have the drivers and everything but still that's uh, and the fact that they're now doing it in the stable channel not requiring the beta channel beta channel is like just even that more uh, accessible for people so i mean i i'm so excited like it's it's like a you know a kid in a candy store like yep. I'm, just, I'm so yeah. excited it's so nice to be able to go into steam and, and not have to be like oh, i can't play that i can't play that it's uh <laughs> it's nice to see you can play so you brought us one more story that's really hot here and it has to do with the developer of limit theory throwing in the towel what's this about yeah that was it was a really interesting one actually because crowdfunding is such a massive thing for indie developers where they can get tens of thousands of pounds to help them create games or, you know, board games, whatever. People do all sorts of crazy things on it now. Sure. But not all of them succeed. They Mm. might get the funding and a year or two later, they might completely fail, where a lot of them end up going silent and just completely disappear, which is obviously really annoying. They've got, you know, 50 to 70 to 100,000 pounds or dollars or whatever. And what was interesting is the developer Limit Theory 
put an update out on Kickstarter and he said he's basically, he's stopping development. He's giving up because he's out of money. He's emotionally and physically drained by it and so on. But the interesting thing and what sets this developer apart from practically everyone else is that they're open sourcing it. Wow. Which is exactly how it should be. Mm -hmm. Because even though they're the one doing the work and, you know, they've probably done a bit of work even before the Kickstarter, Mm -hmm. they've still been funded to do the rest of that work for tens of thousands of pounds of other people's money that these people have put their trust in this person. So if you're not able to do it, then it yeah. should it should be out there anyway so that other people can take a look. But it's not even just that. I have to look at it from my own point of view. If I put years and months into a project and I just couldn't finish it, I'd, I'd want it out there so other people could do something with it. So all that time isn't yeah. just wasted. Mm-hmm. I agree. So as at some point, we're now going to have this big space game that's unfinished on like GitHub or GitLab or somewhere. But you've got to give them so much respect for doing that because uh, so many others just don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the fact that they're, they had to do it, throw it in the towel, that's, that's, that's unfortunate. But the fact that they're doing so by giving the code out and they're still, at, at, the, at the minimum, they're still giving a chance for the game to come to fruition, even if they can't be a part of doing it. And that, that mm. is an amazing decision because it's most of the time. I Is this probably the only one? It's the only one I've heard of. Yeah. That. I can't really think of any others. I, I can think of a lot that have completely found and vanished, but <laughs> not that have released the source code when they do so. So yeah. I, I really was quite quite impressed. Yeah. yeah. Now, is, is there some concern as to the, sort of the license that they're going to kick it out there in or...? They didn't mention anything to do with a license yet, but once it's out there, if there isn't, then I'll have a chat with them. Mm-hmm. Very good. Because it's not just the fact that, okay, they've, they've spent years trying to do this and it has literally just worn them down. The fact that they're giving it back to the community, because so somebody goes and looks at that code, they might not want it to make a space game, but they might be able to use some of the code to help finish their particular game mm-hmm. off they got stuck on this particular section and the fact that they can just go and now cherry pick grab that drop it into there you know mix it all together and and work their magic that's that's where it's going to be really really good and yes the guy is going to be upset and 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 maybe slightly depressed about it but it's it's almost like you know um, becoming a donor yeah um your demise means other projects might carry on and, and might live which is fantastic yeah well you see it's exactly what happened with ID when they released the various like Quake and Doom and so on source codes. They've spanned so many different games mm-hmm. and other people have worked on various mods and so on. And a lot of these people that made these Doom and Quake based games then went on to, you know, having careers in the game industry. Mm-hmm. So it does help foster some really awesome stuff. Yeah. My mm-hmm. favorite game exists only because they were modding Unreal. So like there's there's tons of things like that 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 you know that, that Dogafesto Manifesto uh, Rocket League, oh. um, <laughs> so, so so anyway, <laughs> but well, it's it's really cool that they're doing it, and perhaps maybe if if they get the, get the source code out there and they license it with like they'll have to do licenses for both the code and the assets, but once they do that, then that maybe um, if the if their community builds around it, maybe it would actually like you know incentivize and to reinvigorate the developer to join back and help work it with everybody else so yeah that's exactly what i thought 
because they could come back to it at any point and say, you know, oh, I'm the original developer. I'm going to start doing it. You know, I have a Patreon or so on. And they don't, even then, they don't have to do it full time or anything. Very cool. Well, Liam, thank you so much for joining us. I have to announce, because people are going to be really excited about this, about once a month, you're going to come on the show, give us the top stories from Gaming on Linux, our favorite news source for gaming news regarding Linux. And it's going to become a regular segment of Destination Linux. Say yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again. And everyone go check out Gaming on Linux and consider supporting them because they do incredible work for the Linux community out there. And thank you so much again for your time, Liam. Thanks, guys. Thank you. All right, Zeb. So tell us about our software spotlight this week. Well, this one actually came from another email from one of our listeners. Um, So we've received a couple of emails from our listeners on additional options from our catfish and find tip. So Torin recommends using search monkey. Now I have absolutely no idea what search monkey is. Um, The only thing I can think of is, is it something related to some was it Sea Monkey, an old web browser no, type no, thing? No. So it's nothing to do with that at all. That'd be good if all it right, was, so, but I don't, I don't yeah, think so. So someone dig me out of the hole then. So what is Search Monkey? Is it a GUI? Is it a terminal-based thing? I think it's a it's a GUI that uses some, uh, that doesn't use everything, but it uses find and grep. I don't know if, I don't think it uses locate. But, mm-hmm. it, but as a side to, to, you know, to a callback to a previous episode, I was wondering why would I ever use find instead of locate? I figured it out because locate doesn't update enough. And when I try to look for something specific on a specific drive, locate didn't have it. So I had to use find. So there, there is a reason to know both of them. Yes. But if every morning you did a quick update, <laughs> that's not MDD. important. We're not talking about that. It's over. <laughs> Let's go back to the search monkey. <laughs> yeah. You can have one of your macro keys on your keyboard, actually just doing a, a quick tip. Yeah. So okay. SearchMonkey sure. is actually a GUI <laughs> tool, so I can I can school you noobs in here. Uh, you. you can search your directories recursively, uh, and basically it allows you to use simple search terms in a GUI-like manner to find the results. It should be available in Ubuntu-based, mm-hmm. I, I think, in the repositories yeah. right there. It's so packaged by Debian, it. so I think they just pull it yeah. in every time. So mm-hmm. it's just a good alternative. If somebody didn't like the options that we had there, then they can try those as well. And then Michael emailed us, which is weird because... Yeah, not not this one. Why would you email us when you're on the show? <laughs> and recommended using FD as an, an alternative CLI-based search tool. So that's the one I think you were thinking of um, that uh, you would do through the GUI. So again, it's just another option out there you can play with if you're trying to find which one is your particular favorite and home mm-hmm. okay so the next the next thing the tips of this week is a particular application that's command line tool and i think it is fantastic even though it's it is you gotta get it used to it it's kind of a well it's called xdo tool and xdo tool is i think it's pronounced xdo tool i assume but i don't know but it is a way to simulate input from your keyboard and from a mouse with like the activity that you can do as you manually can do it, you can have it automatically do that through a script, for example. So if you were to say in the command line, type in x do tool uh, space click space the number one, 
it would simulate a mouse click, like a regular left click. And now that would not be that helpful at that time. But uh, you could set that like, up. Finally, <laughs> all my dreams have come true. Yeah, I can simulate the mouse click. Yeah, XDO tool click one. Hang on, I can just click the mouse once. Yeah, quicker. you could. But you, that's totally true. But what's powerful about it is that you can automate tasks that you could do with a keyboard or with your mouse. So, for example, if you wanted to click a lot of things that are consistent, you can use the mouse to in the script to automatically click them without having to do it yourself. And you also can do it without having to be at the computer to do it. You can just have it set up to just go when it needs to go. So there's there's there are actually quite a few things that you can do with this, including simulating um, like keyboard input. So for example, if you want to automatically uh, maneuver a website, you can use the tab and like the enter functions to uh, quickly navigate through a website. So while that might like it, it's mainly you'd have to have a specific purpose to use it. But mm -hmm. once you have it, it is a fantastic tool. Well, macros are extremely powerful. And once you get a workflow down and you're not distro hopping, Zeb, this may be something for you to try now since you're not dist distro hopping anymore, then you can start setting things up to do basic activities that you do on a normal basis. For instance, one of the examples here is to resize all visible GNOME terminal windows to specific size. So there may be things that you sit there and you do every single time on your system, and now you can set up a shortcut to just execute that very simply mm -hmm. so that you don't have to mess with it every time. Generally, these type of things work well when you have a defined workflow, you're working on specific projects and you need certain things to be set up certain ways. This in a way, although it's not the same, is I, I view this like I3 Windows Manager is, is once you get it set up and you get everything coded and you have a workflow, it's brilliant, right? All your windows launch on the proper workspaces in the proper space in the proper area that you want. It helps speed up your workflow yep. and get you ready uh, to, to get things done. So this is a very powerful tool at the disposal to simulate keyboard inputs, mouse activities, resizing. There's all kinds of things. And you don't have to be a coder to use it. While it's a little more complex, it's not super simple. There are a bunch of people out there who've already written the code to do half the things, and you just go in there and tweak it, which is what most programmers do anyways, right? You steal somebody else's code, tweak it to do what you want. How dare you? Yes. And yeah. is there a website where you can request little XDO? Um, no, nobody's going to do the work them. for you, Zeb. You need to put a little bit of effort into things, okay? There's it's going to be worth it because it's going to be XDO one click, delete pixelated games. <laughs> <laughs> Search, worth it. search the document for pixelated games and remove them. There are nice things about it that it makes it easier to like once you start getting used to how it works because it's essentially just command line uh, operator and then values. And then once you get used to how it sets up, it's it's not very difficult to create a script with it. But it is uh, a little bit more you know complicated than just clicking buttons and stuff. But it's there there is there is things that they have put in to make it a lot easier to figure out what it is. So for example, with the mouse thing, you might be thinking. Well, that would be a pain. I have to tell it where, what pixel on the screen to figure it out and then you know, give it the click command. But it doesn't actually have to be that way because they have another command. It's xdo tool get mouse location. So you just put your mouse wherever you want it to be, and it will tell you the, the data that you need to use in the script. So it's actually not wow. that difficult because of all the extra tools that it allows you to uh, simplify the, the action of creating these things. Nice. 
So we also gave a tip last week, and I wish I had brought the name of it here, but I just want to mention it. There is, You know how we talked about X-Kill, you could turn it into a game and how cool it would be? Mm-hmm. Well, somebody brought up that, and I need to download it and play with it, but there is a Doom version that utilizes... It basically, and, and it shows from what I could see in the screenshot, it looks like you're playing Doom, but you can start killing PIDs basically uh, instead of, and as you shoot them and kill them, it actually force quits the actual PID. That's amazing. So they, somebody has turned it into a game. We'll have to go check it out. There was just absolutely brilliant. I'm going to stream that and maybe like try to kill my OBS <laughs> in my Doom. <laughs> <laughs> How brilliant would that be? <laughs> All right. Well, that is the end of our show. A big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us, for watching, listening, however you get the content. Thank you so much for your support. And Zeb, how can people get a hold of us? Well, as usual, all they need to do is drop us an email um, to comments at destinationlinux.org um, and or pop on to our website, for destinationlinux.org forward slash contact. Now that's forward slash contact, not forward slash space contact. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's to, don't, it's for, don't, for, don't, well don't done, put the sir. space in there. I like it. Uh, yeah. Don't put the space in there, yeah. And then you can find out about our Telegram groups, Discord, um, and everything else. So keep those emails coming because, as I say, they are a very integral part of the show now. And also keep the uh, smash button being liked. That's that's very helpful to the show. It actually helps. A lot of people like YouTubers will say that that's not going to be that much helpful. But it does help us know what you like about the show. And if you like a particular episode, it helps us if you need to do that. And thumbs also, up do not, or thumbs down do not help us, though. Yeah, that doesn't, we don't get anything from that. Yeah, I agree. That's, that's not helpful at all. But yes. uh, if you also want to leave us a comment and let us know what you think, that would be helpful as well. If you would like to join us live, you can join us in the Zoom chat when we do this show live you can join us by becoming a patron by going to destinationlinux.org slash patreon and you can also if you it would help us if you were to share the show on social media like mastodon twitter uh, diaspora things like that would be really helpful i mean imagine the excitement of being able to see this show live just imagine and seeing the outtakes live as well (laughs) absolutely just pop into our telegram group and find out how awesome it is from our patrons who do visit us every week (laughs) Yeah, they'll definitely no, tell on, you. No, don't do that. Don't do yeah, that. Don't talk don't to that. They don't have expectations. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, Thanks everyone. everyone. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Uh, if you'd like to join the Zoom for the, as a patron, you can you can actually experience the show live by going to Ducks. Tuck, wow. I did it again. Did it again. Hold on. <laughs> Edit point. Okay. If you want to experience the show live, you can almost did it again. Wow. <laughs> Over so, to you, Ryan. Right? So hold on. I got it. I got it. I got it. Wow. I got it. I cannot believe you messed up what would have been the most perfect intro ever on the show's history. He can use it still, surely. It stopped recording. That's the problem. So I hit the I hit the set, uh, to make edit point. So when you started, oh and then it God. just stopped. So it's like ninety one episodes anyway. later, you know. So with this ninja edit, I wanted to point out that yes, the podcast has ninety one episodes, but I've only been doing it since episode eighty two for editing wise. 
So I have had 10 times of trying. And will it? Okay, that's kind of a lot anyway. But still, not 91 times. There. Game face, ready? <laughs> not you're getting robbed. Game face. <laughs> oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> 